0: Esther chapter 6, and it's interesting to to talk about uh, Esther in juxtaposition with that psalm, which is about a righteous leader, about a a king who is good, who loves righteousness and hates wickedness, and and to contrast that with the the king that we're meeting in in the book of Esther, Xerxes, who is is neither just, nor loves righteousness, uh, nor is competent in any way, and is quite potentially dangerous. So it's interesting the the standards that God has for those who are in charge and how sometimes uh, whether, whether, whether they're good or bad or otherwise, uh, God is never dismayed by the quality of these leaders. And we're in, um, so we're going to be in Esther uh, chapter 6 today. And this is one of my uh, favorite passages in the Bible. So if you're going to turn to Esther chapter 6, if you're going to listen and read along, please do so and And I want you to put on your imagination right now, because I want you to realize that that this passage, this chapter, is as silly as you could possibly imagine it. As much as previously, I've been like as gross as you can imagine this chapter. That's how gross this chapter is. This chapter, I want you to be as silly as possible as you can imagine this this is this is a classic turnabout. This is a classic kind of like, Sitcom plot that we've seen a hundred times before. It's one of the oldest uh, uh, comedic turns uh, that that we have in human history, and 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 so I want you to to imagine your what a, whatever silly show or, or or thing that you have in your head that you absolutely love. I want you to have that in your mind, and and again. In order for this to really sink in, we need to start this off, like, you know how sometimes on shows they have, like, previously on Esther. Like, so we're going to start off with, like, a, a previously on Esther. Uh, so this happened in Chapter 2, right? During the time Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthan and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, became angry and aspired to assassinate King Xerxes. But Mordecai found out about the plot and told Queen Esther. Remember, the first rule of Assassination Club is don't talk about... Assa- Big B- 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 Thon and Turesh broke that, and Mordecai turned him in. Uh, and when the report was investigated and found to be true, the two officials were impaled on poles. All this was recorded in, in the Book of the Annals, in the presence of the king. Okay, so previously on Esther, that happened. Previously on Esther... This happened, this is just last week, this is just last episode, the last place that we're left with. Uh, Haman is with his wife Zeresh, and all his friends said to him, have a pole set up reaching a height of 50 cubits, seven stories, and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it, then go with the king to the banquet and enjoy yourself. Nothing really sets me up for a nice meal like knowing that my enemies are being impaled outside, really, like that, it just really... Sets my stomach to ease. So this suggestion delighted Haman and he had the poll set up. So very next thing that happens. That night the king could not sleep. So he ordered the book of the chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought into him and read to him. Now, okay, stop. Um I occasionally have trouble sleeping. Uh Sometimes maybe I'm being kept awake by the Lord for prayer. Sometimes maybe I shouldn't drink coffee after 9 p.m. like I'm 18. Um, But sometimes I have trouble sleeping. Never once have I gone back to the archive of my own sermons to listen to put myself to sleep. Like, maybe I should. Maybe that would be a wise thing to do. But... What on earth is Xerxes doing that he's like, you know what will make me feel good in the middle of the night, reading about how awesome I am and all of these things that have been done? But that's where he goes. So the record of his reign was found and brought to him, and it was found recorded there that Mordecai had exposed Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway and who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. What honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this, the king asked. Nothing has been done for him, his attendants answered. Now, the other part that's awesome about this is that Xerxes hears this information as if this is the first time that he is hearing it. Like he's somehow surprised by this piece of information. And yet, didn't we just see that previously on Esther, all this was recorded in the book of the Annals of the King. Now, the king is drunk a lot of the time, so it's quite possible that he just wasn't coherent enough to have a good memory of it. But somehow, on the night that Haman was going to the night before Haman was going to come to him to, to ask that Mordecai be impaled, the night before that's about to happen, he can't sleep. And then he has the book of the annals read to him, and they happen to turn to this part where Mordecai exposes this plot. That, that, that Xerxes is conveniently forgotten, and he ends up in this place where nothing has been done to him. So, the king said, who is in the court? Now, Haman had just entered the outer court of the palace to speak to the king about impaling Mordecai on the pole set up for him. The king, his attendants answered, Haman is standing right there. This is a beautiful piece of information. He's like, who can give me advice about things? Haman happens to be here. He showed up early because he's got to get some impaling done. Bring him in, the king ordered. And when Haman entered, the king asked him, what should be done for the man that the king delights to honor? Now, like you can say that in as silly a voice as you want, but this is, you can see how this is all starting to set up. Haman shows up, he's ready to get have this bit. Mordecai's going to end today, and in the middle of this, before he can even get started, what should be done for the, what the, the man the king delights to honor? Now, Haman thought to himself, "Who is there that the king would rather honor than me?" This is Haman's most Carly Simon moment. He's so vain. Uh, Obviously, the song is about him, right? Like, Who is there that the king would rather honor than me? In a a kingdom of millions of people, in a city of over 120,000 people, there's no one else that the king would rather honor. Pride goes before a fall, and it's a beautiful thing that we love as human beings. We love to see this guy get his comeuppance. No, it's on. Yeah, yeah, don't worry about it. You're just close that you're hearing it somewhere else, and it's being recorded through there. So can everybody hear me at the back? Awesome. So we're good. Thank you. So Haman thought to himself, who was there that the king would rather honor than me? So he starts off with every good thing that he can possibly imagine the king doing for him. So he answered the king. For the man the king delights to honor, let them bring a royal robe that the king has worn and on a horse that the king has ridden with a royal crest placed on its head. Then let the robe and the horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes. And let them robe the man the king delights to honor and lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. You can imagine Haman just getting more and more excited with every step he's just like oh you could do could I have one of your robes and one of your horses and then we'll get the guy and he's just getting more and more excited with every single moment as he starts to tell this story of all the delightful things that the king can do to him and then as soon as he finishes as soon as he climaxes with all that he can imagine oh As soon as yeah, as soon as he reaches this this amazing climax, oh what a minute. Oh, it's not shifting on my phone. Just uh, next one. Go at once, the kingdom commanded. Haman. get the rope and the horse and do just as you have suggested for Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Do not neglect anything that you have recommended. So, Haman, it's beautiful. It's the most, it's classic. This is like this thousands of year old tradition. Like, you've just watched a sitcom this week that has the exact same plot. Go at once, get the robe and the horse, and do all you have suggested to Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Do not neglect anything that you have recommended. So Haman got the robe and the horse and he robed Mordecai and led him on horseback through the city streets proclaiming before him this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. And you can imagine Haman like is he walking fast? Like is he just trying to like this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor? Like just kind of rushing through or is he like is he like really going for the gusto or like how is he oh it's such a beautiful Beautiful moment as all of Haman's plans get turned on its head. And then, okay, can we go to the next one? Yeah, there we are. Afterward, and I love what happens afterwards because Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate in mourning, lamenting the fact that his people were about to be murdered by a royal decree. He then goes and has this like weird event where Haman like puts him on a horse and leads him through the city in this weird royal robe, and then when it's done, he just goes back to sitting in sackcloth and ashes. It's like, well, that was a day. Uh. (laughs) Back to my sackcloth and ashes shift, I guess. Uh. (laughs) So Haman rushed home with his head covered in grief. And told Suresh, his wife, and all his friends everything that had happened to him. They haven't left, I guess. Like, they have just waiting at his house still for him to come back. So so remember, yesterday they told him, you should get a seven-story impaling pole built for for people um, and, and move on from there. And his advisors and his wife said to him, since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, is of Jewish origin... You cannot stand against him. You will surely come to ruin. While they were still talking to him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried Haman away to the banquet Esther had prepared. This is a beautiful moment. La- Just last night, his wife was like, you should have a seven-story uh, impaling pole built. This is a beautiful moment for you. And then the very, the very next night, his wife was like, oh, you're surely going to come to ruin. It's like, can I get a little bit of encouragement, Zeresh? Just a titch, maybe? You know, but this is where Haman is at, and it's this beautiful moment where we see that. Sorry, I'm going to shut this off and turn it back on again. Um, where we see that 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 Haman, what Haman intended for evil, has now been transformed into good for Mordecai, and we love this story as humans. We love it because we see it. Happening all because we love to hear stories of that happening all around us, but we see this turnaround that what what, people, what what Haman intended for evil, God intends for good, and this is one of the the central themes of all of Scripture. That what was once intended for evil somehow gets shifted around and is redeemed for good. We see this, this uh, verse comes out most clearly in Genesis 50 where where Joseph stands in front of the brothers who sold him into slavery, who, who tried to murder him and throw him out of their family and have him completely removed from them. And now they stand before him and he has the opportunity in this position that he's in now to, 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 to save his entire family. And Joseph says to them, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. That is the story that God is con- consistently telling with us. That He so often God redeems and transforms what was intended for evil into our good. We see that you've got stories of this in your own life where you've endured something that was horrendously painful, where you've endured something that was awful, and yet you find, as you go through time, that God's redemption has flowed backwards and, and used that awful thing for good now in the future. That you can go to someone who is, who is experiencing the same pain that you are and say, I've been there, and it's survivable, and you can make this, or make it through this, where where even our sin, God works through redemption to turn it around and transform and make everything new into, into life for other people. This is the story of who we are as Christians. C.S. Lewis wrote a poem where he, called, he said that even our prayers are misguided arrows, that our desires and our, and our intentions and our plans are all so often wrong, but God, but, but God takes our, our misguided arrows and makes them find the target in himself. That, that this is the story of what he is doing in us, that he uses crooked sticks to make straight lines over and over and over again. And this story is is hilarious, and and it's beautiful, and we see the flip happen so quickly. But this exact same kind of situational irony where what we expect to happen doesn't happen is nowhere more clearly illustrated than on the cross. That the forces of evil at that point thought that now the Son of God is dead. Now, finally, we don't have to deal with this anymore. That there's victory here. Things will go back to being peaceful as we wanted them to be without the unrest of this person telling us to, to seek the kingdom of God. We've crushed that. But where evil believed that it had won, it did not. And we know that death has no sting because of the cross. We know that sin has no hold on us because of the cross, and the shackles have been broken. We know that death has no sting. We know that death has no hold. Uh, We know that sin has no hold, and we know that the tomb is empty. This turnaround flip has been done in the past. It has been done, and it is being done in us. It is being done in you, and it is available in every faulty and broken circumstance of which you happen to be a part that God has said he is making all things new that justice is going to be done and we're reminded of that in very serious ways in beautiful ways but also we're reminded of it in silly ways where evil people find their own evil turned on them for our good and we see how the story ends this is This is a a, a song, so often the psalmists say, the wicked will end in destruction. This story is about the wicked ending in destruction. And we see his wife, Zeresh, who had given him so confidently the advice, like, you should build the seven and a half story impaling pole. We see her turn her face on him again and say, oh, your downfall has started. You cannot stand and you will surely come to ruin. This story only ends in one way. We've already reached the climax when the king couldn't sleep and now we're floating toward, we're rolling down the hill faster and faster to the future that is prepared for Haman because in that moment he doesn't even have to, a chance to react and plan now he's dragged away to this banquet. And as we go to the lord's table because that's where we're going next i want us to 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 sometimes we come to this table solemnly and we ought to and we ought to take this table seriously and we ought to think and we ought to to come to this table understanding what we uh, what, what we're eating and drinking when we come to this table. In the book of 1 Corinthians, it says, He who, who, who eats and drinks of this table unworthily drinks death, uh, eats and drinks death upon themselves. So unworthy, we, sometimes we think that unworthily means that we need to get everything straight and we need to be very solemn and serious. And I think that there's an element of truth to that. But I also think that we should come to this table joyfully that as much as you were smiling, seeing Haman get turned around, I want you to come to this table smiling today. I want us to take some time to think about those things in your life that have been turned around in ways that you did not expect and those things in your life that you would like to see turned around in ways that you did not expect i want us to come to this table joyfully knowing that this is the greatest illustration we have of the circumstances being flipped and all things being made new that what you intended for evil god intended for good what what the world intended for evil nailing jesus to a cross shedding of his blood and the breaking of his body God intended that for good for our life and our freedom now and for eternity so as much as we should come to this table seriously we can come to this table joyfully so let's take a few moments in prayer and reflection to come to to and ready our hearts for the joy that is found at this table